Welcome everyone to Stanford Sierra Youth and Families Resource Families Thrive. This is Daniel. Um, I am happy to be back sharing stories about resource families, about the work that we do, giving you the information you need to make the right decision about when you are going to become a resource family, because you know you're going to. As a reminder for all of our new listeners out there, Stanford Sierra Youth and Families is a merged organization. We've got a combined 150 plus years of experience. Overall, we serve 17 counties in the greater Sacramento region with a variety of services, juvenile justice intervention services, mental health, family advocacy, pre and post adoption, foster care, and more. We're always expanding. We're always adding new supports, new ways that we can help out our communities. Any of the services that we offer are dedicated to enforcing and reinforcing our mission time and again. You will have heard this if you are a returning listener. So maybe you have it memorized at this point too, but our mission statement is transforming lives by nurturing permanent connections and empowering families to solve challenges together so every child can thrive. Today, we will be joined by uh, one of our resource families. I'll allow them to introduce themselves in just a moment but they're here to really talk about some of the realities of foster care. You know, one of my goals in Resource Families Thrive is to dispel some myths, dispel some rumors, correct some misconceptions. And we talk a lot about, you know, some really positive things. And sure, there are some challenges too. Um, and this family is really dedicated to overcoming those challenges, to removing those barriers and supporting kids. So I will let them take it away. So I'll go ahead and let you introduce yourself. Hey guys, it's Michelle. I'm just joining you in today. Um, so a quick little introduction about myself is uh, my husband and I, um, we've been adoptive parents now for like the past five years, I wanna say six years. Um, so we had no kids of our own and decided to jump right in. And uh, my husband didn't want to deal with diapers, so we went straight into puberty and got ourselves a teenager right off the bat. So uh, that was an interesting encounter. And then uh, she's been our beautiful daughter now for the last several years. And then we now have a little nine-year-old in our home who we're currently fostering to adopt as well. So that's a little bit about me. So let's get to it. Yeah, thank you so much, Michelle. And I always have to give a quick appreciation for for one thing for taking in older kids but also the reason I often hear people saying that they want to take in older kids is they don't want to deal with divers uh so I have you on today to yeah talk about some of the challenges of foster care and foster to adopt and more importantly how you and your husband overcame those so what sort of stuff have you seen as a resource family that you think other families would be challenged by? That's a huge spectrum, right? Um, when people think about, you know, the foster system and, and getting into to foster care or being a resource parent um, or even adopting, you know, internationally, locally, you know, what fits for you, you know, are they older, they're younger, right? Um, I think that, you know, especially when people get into this and they look at, well, okay, what age should we go for? Um, I think a lot of people don't take into account um, that, you know, the kids in these care are, you know, they may be chronologically older, but mentally and emotionally they're younger. So a lot of the kids that, you know, we get 
have much more of a younger state of mind. Um, and so that's one thing to just keep in mind. So even if you're looking at a teen compared to, you know, say a five-year-old, I think as far as behaviors go, um, they can kind of all look the same sometimes, even though there's that huge age difference. So if you can kind of get to the root of why you're seeing these things, I think, you know, getting into um, being a resource parent would be a lot easier to chew and handle, right? You know, if we can understand the reason behind things, it's a little more easily explainable and it's a little easier to take, um, right? Because, you know, you never really know when you see that parent in the grocery store and their kids melting down on the floor, you know, you think as a pastor buyer, like, oh, they must be a horrible parent or they must be horrible children. But to really get to what it is and why it is and, and what's going on in that situation um, can really be eye-opening for a lot of people. Um, so behaviors, right? Huge spectrum of behaviors. Um, but behaviors are always driven by something, right? So behaviors are often more times driven with these kids. It's fear. It's 100% fear. Um, and how do they get that way, right? How do, how do these kiddos... How do we get to the point where we have behaviors from it? When a family is getting started in foster care, one thing that I often hear is um, that the parents will say, I want a child with little or no behaviors. So the question that I'm going to have for you is kind of twofold. Um, what, does, what does little to no behaviors mean to you and what did you and your husband talk about as what, what presenting behaviors were okay with you? We had a, we had a broad scale, right? Because behaviors can mean so many things. And so for our home, um, a few of the boundaries that we set was um, my husband is a big animal lover. So he did not want kids in our home that had like really displayed animal abuse. That was a big no for us in our home just because of our situation. Um, and one of the other things that we kind of discussed were kids who have intentionally set fires to things. Um, so somebody that has known to do those kinds of things um, were our kind of big red flags. Um, but it's hard when you, when you see these kids and you see these long lists of the behaviors um, and just diagnoses that these kids get over the years. I know our first kiddo, um, when we looked at her, you know, she was 11 years old, gonna be 12, and she had a laundry list of stuff in her chart. And within the first year of having her, of providing that love and continuous support, she knocked off more than half that stuff on the list and didn't have any of those problems when it just came to having someone provide stability. So when you sit here and you look at their files, don't be discouraged. And also just for everyone kind of listening in, um, it is really rare that we get uh, kids that have demonstrated things through animal abuse or fire starting. But Michelle, I am glad that you bring that up just to kind of dispel that myth a little, um, because I've heard that a fair few times Um that people are worried about that sort of thing. And with those things, we're not going to just place a child with that deep a therapeutic need just right out the gate. Those are things that require deep therapeutic intervention. 
So as a support counselor, there were times when I would be out in the community with one of my clients and they would have a meltdown over something, you know, that I wouldn't take them somewhere to play a video game or that they didn't want to go home yet because we were doing some sort of activity or intervention in a park. Uh, and so they would, they would have meltdowns in public. And so with me as a support counselor experiencing that, I have to assume that families experience those things too. And so to jump right to it, what, what do you do in those situations? Like, I have to assume that there's some embarrassment there and everything. How do you cope yourself when a child is having a meltdown that they need support through? Yeah, this is a great one, right? Because as a society, right, we've been kind of conditioned to, you know, how dare our kids ever act out in public? And if they do, it must be because we're horrible parents, right? Nobody wants that embarrassment. Um, I think it's actually quite the opposite. I think if your kid's melting down in public and you're doing what you can do, I see that as a strong parent, right? Um, I think it's funny, you know, when my kids decide to have major meltdowns in public, I have no problem stepping back and going, well, let's see what this is going to take, you know, and, and you got to realize too, that there's a few things that drives the behaviors, right? So if they're melting down, so say something in the park triggered them, maybe they saw an ice cream truck and now all of a sudden they're thinking they're hungry and now, well, well I've never been fed in most of my life. So now if I don't get food, I'm going to die. I'm going to, you know, like these, these survival triggers can happen for these kiddos and they've never been able to express themselves, right? So like as adults, when something traumatic happens to us, what do we do, right? We, we talk to people about it. We express it. We talk through it. We process where a lot of these kiddos have never had the chance to do that, right? They're in, in these continuous situations of unsafety um, and they're constantly changing. There's no control in it. So when things trigger them, they can't verbalize it. Most of them can't, especially in those moments. So what you see are behaviors. So as a parent in public, I mean, one of your first, first things you wanna to try to do is try to get to that kid and get to a place of safety. You know, if they're able to verbalize in that moment, which is rare, but if they're able to verbalize, hey, what's going on? You know, did you see something? Did you smell something? You know, what is it that you need right now? Um, and get back to that basic, you were safe, you were loved, you were cared for right now, and I'm going to meet it. Um, and you just get back to that basic level, you know, and, and that's one thing as a resource parent, when you think about getting into it or you're into it and you're, you're just like, oh my gosh, you have to have the time. You have to be able to walk away from things. If you're in a grocery store and it's the end of the week and you need the groceries for your family and your kids tantruming down the aisle, you have to be able to say, okay, if we can't do this, we're leaving. And, you know, you, you pick up your kiddo and you leave your cart full of groceries and you leave, you know, um, you have to provide yourself kind of this barrier of time and protection because um, it takes time to heal trauma. It really does. You're working against the brain there. So in public, take it as a fun challenge. You know, as an adult, you've got the time to spare. 
you've got the love to give and hopefully, hopefully you're having the patience. Yeah, I always remind people, who's the adult in this relationship? And then I, people will just kind of stare at me during trainings and then I'll kind of go, here's a hint, it's you. Sometimes we want to be the kids. Yeah, sometimes we do. And also you brought up a really good point. You know, if you're talking about the hierarchy of needs, I reference uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs quite frequently and you can't get to the top things that are like self-actualization and self-esteem without meeting the very basic needs, food, clothing, water, shelter, safety. If you don't meet those things first, you're not going to get to the rest of it. And so what you are doing in those moments out in public is preserving the child's safety, reassuring them that they are safe. All that said, that also sounds like it could be very stressful. So what do you do to kind of recharge or discharge to, to take care of yourself through all of this too? Right. Um, so one of the crucial things, you know, that you're going to run into is these kids are going to push your buttons. They're going to trigger you and then you kind of get stuck in this state, right? Because they're triggered but they're like that baby. They still need you to come in and calm them down. And when we get to that point where we're triggered and we're dysregulated just as much, if not more than they are, the situation's going nowhere fast, right? You know, you, you can't calm someone if you're not calm. So I'm, I've gotten to the point, you know, in, in places where I just kind of like, I verbalize it. You know, even at young ages, you're teaching these kids how to act right? When I'm dysregulated, what do I do so that I'm safe and you're safe and everybody around me is safe? You're teaching them that. Um, so I'll verbalize. If I've gotten to that point where I'm so done, um, say we're in public or whatever, I'll verbalize, you know, hey, I mean the break. I, I'm, I'm so frustrated. I don't know what to do. So mommy's going to take a little walk across the field, okay? You're, you're still going to see me you're not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere, but I just need to take a walk just to calm down, right? And verbalize it. You're teaching them. And everything we do, they're watching us. So you really have to be cautious about what you say and do. And it's everything we do is teaching. So teach them how to calm. Teach them, you know, that it's okay. Yeah, we're both upset. Let's go for a walk. And then, I mean, like outside of the interactions, I strongly suggest everybody, everybody needs to be in like some kind of support group or have a support system of other um, resource family or adoptive families. Um, I've got, you know, friends who have adopted and I've got friends who haven't. And you need the ones that are in the same situation to really be able to connect with. Let's talk about adoption for a second as well. You know, I, I think that one of the myths that people believe one of the things that they kind of experience is that one or one of the things that they that they think even if they're not consciously thinking it is that like once a child's adopted their previous story is kind of over like they're everything is going to be good now we're not going to have to deal with any of these behaviors anymore um what is that experience post-adoption been like for you 
Like what's, what sort of supports have you needed? What sort of things have happened? Has everything just been magically fixed by adoption? <laughs> yeah, right. That magical fix that everyone wishes for. Um, well, it's funny. It's like, you know, it comes to my mind. If you think about a soldier, you know, when somebody goes off to war and they've been put in this insanely tense situation that they've been fighting for their lives for, you know, day by day, all of this trauma that's introduced to them, when they come back from war, you know, two, three, five, ten years later, what happens? You know, it's not something that they just all of a sudden flip a switch and now they're totally fine. You know, I mean, that's, I mean, PTSD was one of the major things that came out of, you know, the wars. And so it's just our, our human bodies retain that trauma and it affects our brain. It just, it changes it in a way that, you know, it takes a lifetime to start to heal. So no, I wish there was a, a quick, easy fix, right? You're adopted. It's anointed. It's all good. You know, fresh start. But that's not reality, right? You're, you're coming alongside these kids for the rest of their lives and even into adulthood. Um, they're still going to have these memories, these flashbacks, these, you know, these smells, the sights, the things that can trigger you even through adulthood. Um, so it's just a lifelong continued support. We're there to love our kids. We're there to love our adult kids um, as best as you can, you know, and, and same thing, you know, spouses, like, you know, we go through, you know, as we grow, we change and we're there to love each other through all those changes coming and going. So, you know, still hoping for that super fix, but not yet. And when you feel like you have those steps backward, you know, when those, those triggers happen and we don't always, you know, we've mentioned triggers a few times throughout this episode. We don't always know when a trigger is going to come up, when that smell is going to happen, when that sensation is going to happen. That song is going to play on the radio. And so there are those, those moments when it feels like a couple of steps backwards. What do you do when, when you feel like things are regressing, when you feel like things are going a little bit backwards? So when you have a teenager who wants to go to the grocery store and hop in the cart and have you give her, you know, your soda or whatever, you know, and she just wants to ride around like a little kid just even little things, you know, um, when you see our kids regress, for one, to me, it tells me that their brain is actually kind of open, right? That they've reached this point in their trauma that they're going back to those missing pieces, right? We talk about like when trauma is introduced, it's like a puzzle on our brain. Parts of the puzzle get taken away. So now we have a brain that has all these missing pieces to our puzzle. And when you have these kids who go through life, the regression usually happens when they're feeling connected. They may be completely dysfunctional in those moments, but their brain is kind of open to the point where they're going back, they're regressing back to the age where that trauma was introduced. So to me, I see that, which, you know, as someone coming into a resource parenting, you know, an adoption, you're like, what is going on here? Like, you know, why is my teenage daughter acting like a two-year-old, you know, and you're thinking, what on earth? 
it's actually what you need to be saying is, oh, yes, they're acting like a two-year-old. This is my chance to go back and treat them like that two-year-old because they were never really treated the way a two-year-old should have been treated. They didn't get that support and that love and those pieces. So if you can be silly with them, be silly with it and do it. Let your, you know, your 16-year-old ride around in the grocery cart, but um, do it. Give them back those pieces that were stolen from them. Um, look at it as an opportunity to help heal their brain versus something that's really strange and odd and shouldn't be happening, right? So um, dive into it. Go for it. Be creative with it. So, yes. You can have so much fun with that. You absolutely can. I, as a support counselor, when I was, when I was still helping kids that had very special challenges through things. One of my resource parents called me up one time and said, my 17 year old wants to play Barbies. What do I do? And sounded very confused. And so of course my response was, do you have any Barbies or can you make it to target to get some? And it's exactly right. I tell people about the brain puzzle we're filling in the piece. She wants to play Barbies with you to fill in that piece. Uh, my favorite example, my all-time favorite example was two 16, 17-year-old boys going absolutely bonkers when Santa Claus showed up for one of our holiday parties. I'm talking like <laughs> fangirl at a Beatles concert in the front row excitement that Santa Claus showed up. And again, 16 and 17-year-old boys who are way too cool for school just lost it. It was hilarious. And also it was like, you guys, you needed Santa. <laughs> right? You needed Santa, clearly. The last question that I always ask people or what I will tell you to do now, pretend that I don't work in foster care, that I know nothing about foster care, that I am not me. I want you to convince me to become a resource parent, even though I am scared that these kids are going to have all kinds of behaviors and meltdowns and craziness, convince me to do this in spite of those worries. One of the first things I'd probably ask is, uh, how were you when you were a kid? <laughs> right? I love to hear all the crazy adult stories, of, you know, and parents come into the room and they're like, oh, I was such a terror as a kid. Um, so it's so funny, you know, I mean, like foster care, it's an adventure, um, being a resource parent, being an adoptive parent, there's really nothing like it. Um, it's going to have its highs. It's going to have its lows, but man, if you want to dive into something that changes lives and it's not just, you know, you hear people say all the time, I want to get in to help change a kid's life. But let me tell you, it's going to change your life probably far more than it will theirs. Um, I have been able to grow and learn and do things that I never would have done if I hadn't have gotten into this journey. And so I just encourage you guys out there, if you have questions, talk to people. You know, I, I don't want to be, you know, that, that myth sayer and, you know, cause I laugh when, you know, I was growing up and my sisters, everybody told me I should have, you know, my biological kids, you should have kids. It's the most wonderful thing in the world. And, 
and then you get into it and you're like nobody tells you how hard it is it's it's challenging it's hard raising kids period is hard it takes a lot um you really as a parent in general have to die to yourself to help raise your kids and be there and, and be willing to sacrifice to love other people and so it's just something you know that most parents will tell you it is wonderful it's wonderful to get to that spot and all your fears and your you know all these things there's nothing like a kid coming up to you and when my daughter was 13 in the car driving home telling me that she has never at 13 years old has never known what safety felt like until she came into our home I mean, that's just beautiful. You know, here's here's this kid who you think nothing of it. She's a teen. She was in, she acted like a normal teen. She never knew what safety felt like in her life. And to be able to provide that for our kiddos, to have someone come up to you and say, I never knew what love was. I never knew what this was. And then all the fun, cool things. You can have teenagers who have never seen the ocean, who have never ridden a roller coaster all these amazing things that you get to experience with these kids for the first time. It's life-changing for you and for them. It's worth it. Anything worth it is hard. And I just say, dig into it because it's going to be one of the most amazing roller coasters you'll ever go on. Are you convinced? <laughs> I think you've convinced me. I'm going to pick up that phone. I'm going to call. Michelle, this has been beautiful. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing your experiences with everyone, with the world, because, you know, I look at the map of where we have listeners. Sometimes it's Belgium. And I am just really, really grateful for everything that you have done, that you put out there. And again, that you're taking the time to share this with us today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We do always want to encourage families to reach out, to give us a call. Remember that we have orientations a couple of times a month. Um, we are here to answer your questions. You can get in touch with me directly. You can get in touch with a family developer. You can talk to any number of people within our organization to learn more about how you can become a resource parent. I think that a lot of people get uncomfortable with this because they, they start talking themselves out you know, they get the idea, but then they start thinking of the reasons why they can't. I challenge you to think about the reasons why you can and the ways that you are ready. So because I know you're ready, I ask you to give us a call. Our main office in Sacramento is at 916-368-5114. You can also call our Grass Valley office at 530-478-0900 or our Roseville office at 916-742-7480. We also have plenty of information on our website, ssyaf.org. And I encourage you to look through the rest of our podcast library. We've got a lot of great episodes, great guests, answering so many questions, giving you so much information and knowledge right out the gate. If you're here, you're taking first steps already. You're learning more. And so go ahead and pick up that phone. Go ahead, visit our website. 
submit an inquiry. There's no obligation in that or an attending orientation. And I will be absolutely thrilled to see you. Michelle, I'll let you close us out. All right, guys, until we talk again, keep thriving. <laughs>